And now, the cleanest hour in podcasting with your host, Ralph Peterson. This is the Housekeepers Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housekeepers Podcast. Dare I say the cleanest hour in podcasting. This is going to be what we like to call a fantastic show today. It's going to be a lot of fun. Mr. Ryan Renault. Renard? Renard. Renard. Did I say it right? Ryan Renard. 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 Ryan Renard. Yeah. All right. Yes, sir. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you're in, what are we calling it now? Is it hot in Nevada? What's the temperature in Nevada right now? Uh, You know what? I didn't check this morning, but it's warm. It's warm and smoky. I have a friend. Warm and smoky isn't the front. What is the smoke from? The smoke is from the state of California, which is currently on fire. I don't watch the news. And so I don't, I don't know the California's on fire. I guess I knew like, because I'm on the East coast, I'm in New York. We did have some hazy days and everyone's like, well, that's because of the fires in California. And I just kind of heard it and let it go. I didn't mm-hmm. run to a television and go, Oh, there's California. Fire. So it must be affecting you guys. You guys are right next to it. It's, we are next to it. For those involved, it is, it's absolutely devastating. California usually has bad fire years, but the last two, and this one especially, have been just horrible. So. Well, I don't know what to, that sucks. And I wish everybody well, but I didn't know. I didn't know. I ran a marathon in New Mexico, Mm -hmm. I don't know, three years ago. And at the mile 18 mark, because they had a wildfire there as well, the mile 18 mark, it began to be get really smoky and kind of hazy. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, they were advising all the runners to walk. If you want to continue, just walk so you're not inhaling so deeply. And, you know, a bunch of us idiots just kept running anyway. We figured the faster we get done, the race, the better. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Yeah. So I'm super excited to learn how you got into the cleaning business and you started a supply company too. Is that right? Well, I took over a supply company. Oh, very nice. And that must be recent though. It was. So that happened at the end of last year. A good buddy of mine had been operating it since 2005. He actually started it and he got to the point in his professional career where he was going a different direction. So instead of just shutting it down, he blessed my wife and I with the opportunity to take it over and That's awesome. uh, see what we could do with it. So I'm extremely excited about Mojave Supply. That's yeah. awesome. You know, supplies are big money. It's a big business. It's a, from what I understand, I, in my, I mean, obviously I've been working with supply companies forever being in the cleaning business, of course. Right. But one of my biggest kind of inside baseball understandings of supplies actually came from a barber friend of mine. He has a barber shop and forever because his barber shop is right on in a shopping plaza and it's got big windows and a lot of space. And he kind of, you know, he's looking around, he's, he's got a couple of chairs, he's got a couple of people working for him, but he's got all this retail space. He doesn't know what to do with. He's mm-hmm. like, and I should, he started selling jewelry, like <laughs> thinking that the young men who come in are buying something for their girlfriends, you know, that kind of thing. But it wasn't until he stumbled upon the idea of providing shampoo and conditioner, high-end shampoo and conditioner for the moms of the young men who are going in to get their haircuts that he landed on gold mine. And so he said, 
you know, maybe after two years, the supply side of his business was 300% of his business. Oh, wow. So cutting hair became gravy and everything became the supply side. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, from being in the cleaning business, as long as you've been, I mean, equipment can make or break you. A million percent. Yeah. And so it's exciting to be able to get a glimpse into this world. Mojave had been my supplier on the cleaning side since I originally started my businesses in 2006. And so crazy. And now you own it. Yeah. And so now I own it. So it's a really neat opportunity, extremely excited and looking forward to, to just growing that. But you know, our goal with Mojave is obviously we're equipment suppliers and, and that's what we're going to continue to do. And we want to provide solutions in that environment, but we just want to help with all aspects of the business, right? So sitting down with professionals, sitting down with experts and just kind of like this, having conversations with them and see what nuggets we can pull out of that, that are going to help people grow their business, expand their business, solve a problem they're either stressed about or didn't even know they had. I got to tell you that I wish I had someone like you who lived closer to me with a supply company because I would love, and we talked a little bit about the idea, maybe, you know, doing your own podcast and getting a little more active on social media, which I totally support. I think it's the smartest thing to do. I wish I had a supply company near me who understood my brilliant idea. I'm calling it brilliant because everybody I've talked to has said no. Either flat out they don't get the idea or no, they don't have the space. But wouldn't it be great if I could do the Housekeepers podcast from their store, from their conference room? It's not only the podcast, I also host monthly in-person events. I host trainings, you know, webinars. Imagine doing it at a supply store where I could actually showcase your equipment, your supplies. You know, we're talking about how to create, how to change a rectifier on a side to side. I'll show you. Let me pull a rectifier out, you know? Right. Well, I tell you what I'll do. I'll send you a Zoom background with my logo. And you there you go. <laughs> Pretend I'm in Nevada. I like everything about it. Right. We can pump in fake smoke. <laughs> I fear but, I'll be the only one choking. <laughs> not to make light of, of a really horrible situation. No, that is. was good. That was funny. That was funny. So let's start back at the beginning here. You're in Nevada. Is that born and raised in Nevada? No, I'm a transplant from California. Part of California. So I was born and raised in the Central Valley, Modesto, California. And my previous cleaning companies, we were in the East and South Bay. So we had a pretty, I was a franchisee and I owned three franchise territories in the Bay Area. So that's where we came over from. And that's where you grew up is in Central California. It was. Yeah. How was that? How was growing up in Central CA? You know what? It's a really nice place to be from. Not a nice place to live now, but a nice place to be from. Well, you know, it's just changed. It used to be these little agriculture towns that dotted the Central Valley. And now they've become more bedroom communities for the Bay Area. I mean, the Bay Area has gotten so expensive to live that people are commuting four hours a day just oh to get to their jobs in the Bay Area. By the time we left, and we had the benefit of being able to live in the East Bay. So my commute to work every morning was eight minutes on a busy day. But during the time I left, there had been a new trend that had started where people were driving to work at three o'clock in the morning and then sleeping in their cars for a couple hours just so they didn't have to fight the traffic. Wow. And so, you know, as people, more people moved over to the Central Valley, right? The landscape of the city uh, changed 
And so they're not the same cities that my grandparents moved from Oklahoma to all those years ago. Is that where your family's from is Oklahoma? Originally, yes. Wow. So what was high school like? I would say remarkably average. You know, I was like I a was, good flight, uneventful. Yeah, uneventful. You know, it was funny. My dad just called me the other day and said, hey, I got this folder with your old SAT scores in them. Do you need them? And I said, no, what were they? And he said, well, you didn't light the world on fire. So. <laughs> About average, somewhere in the Midland. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where it was, but it was good. You know, I had a good time. I made friends. What did okay. you work at all? Did you I, have a paper route or anything like that? No. So my first job was, my first job was working for a pizza place. So I made pizzas. How old were you? 15, 16? Yeah. Right in there. I think 15 when I started. So doing that throughout high school, if I wanted to drive, I had to maintain all B's and above. So that was, Whoa. that was a main foe. You can imagine a 16, 17 year old kid wants to drive. So yeah, that's a nice incentive. I don't want to brag, but my first job in high school was a janitor at the high school. <laughs> <laughs> started young. I started, yeah. I started scraping gum off of underneath the desks very early in my life. Yeah. Well, you know what? I had tables. I was doing it off underneath tables. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> but then after, so after round table, still in high school, I moved up to blockbuster video, which is a very old statement these days. Blockbuster video. Yeah. Big fan. Yeah. No, it was a good job. I enjoyed it. I got to meet a lot of people. I was presented with a couple of great opportunities that I was too dumb to take at the time. And so you mean like management opportunities, like getting into a No, no. A guy who later became a friend of mine, and we'll get to that later in the story, but he would come in with his family to rent videos. And he was in the Air National Guard, California Air National Guard. And uh, and if I had to listen to him and learned a little bit more, uh, life would have probably taken a bit different of a direction and eventually got there. We can talk about that later. But yeah, you know, when you're 16, 17 years old, you don't know what you don't know and you think you know it all. So, yeah, um, no question. What was he, what was he recruiting you? Like he was, was he telling you all the positives of being in the air guard? He was, and he had nothing to do with recruiting. He was an officer, just knew that the air guard was a good life and wanted to try and share that with as many people as possible, especially, you know, young kids, not sure what they want to do with their life yet. And so, you know, he offered to set me up with recruiters and show me around and that kind of thing. And, you know, at that point it was thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> I like that because I'm a little bit the same way when I see someone and I recognize I'm like, oh, that guy would be a good Marine. You know, I'd be like, I, all of a sudden I put on my recruiter jacket, never been a recruiter for the Marine Corps, but right. being a former Marine, I kind of have, you know, I have two things. One, I kind of have an eye for it. I kind of see I think I do anyway. I see people like, oh, you'd be, you'd love the Marine Corps, that kind of thing. And also I think the Marine Corps would love him. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like a twofer. Right. And so I do the same thing, but I only do it. I only bring it up to people who I think are hard charging, who are motivated, who are working. And so it says a lot about you, you know, just somebody recognizing you at a 16, 17 year old kid working in Blockbuster. You're like, oh, what the hell am I? He saw something, obviously. Which I was extremely grateful for and grateful for. And, and his part of the story is not done yet, but we'll get to him again later. But yeah, so from Blockbuster, I finished out my time in high school and I started junior college. 
And so- What were you uh, going to study in college? What was your idea? Well, I started out in uh, hospitality and recreation management. Oh, okay. Uh, Not far from where you are now. No, no, it, it wasn't far. I had an opportunity through that. And really, it's open to all college students, and I would highly recommend it. Uh, but Walt Disney World has a college internship. So after my, I think after my first year of junior college, I had an opportunity to go back to Disney World for seven months. And that was the beginning of, I don't know, life knowledge, if you want to, that real useful, practical, because Disney does a fantastic job at customer service. And so being able to, go ahead. No, I just want to know what exactly is their secret sauce and like, what did they teach you? Like, how was the orientation go? What's the... So it, the biggest thing, now, now remember, this is now, what, 17 years ago for me, so I can't give it to you line by line, but the biggest thing at Disney is, as a cast member, you have to remember there's people there that have saved their entire life up to that point for a Disney vacation, right? Like, we're not going to pretend Disney's not an expense. It is. But there's people that have saved their entire life for this vacation. And if you have a bad day in front of them, then that could tarnish the whole reputation of Disney, right? Like we went to Disney, we saved for so long and we had a eh, vacation because this cast member wasn't, you know, or that cast, whatever. So if you went to work that day, regardless of what happened in your personal life, you understood that, hey, we got to make today special for people. And everybody's so, a cast member. Everybody's playing a role. You go in are. knowing you either are happy or you pretend to be. Right. And you know what? And, and throughout my life, it's interesting. Even when I'm not happy, I try to pretend to be happy because there reaches a point in pretending where you just become happy again, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever made you upset. And so it was a really neat lesson for me, especially as a young guy, because I was there 18, 19 years old. And as a young guy, really getting that perspective. If I took nothing else away from there, which I was a lifeguard for seven months. So to be honest, I didn't take away as, as much as I probably should have. <laughs> you know, looking back, we'll just chalk that up as another opportunity that I probably didn't take full advantage of. But if I took anything away from it, I'm glad I was able to take away that customer service that if you're in front of a customer, regardless, you do whatever you can without being just completely steamrolled, right? You, know, you do whatever you can to make that customer satisfied. I like that. I think that is so, I think that's what McDonald's does a good job at, Burger King, you know, all those fast food places because their business model, it sounds like Walt Disney World or Disneyland, which is where you would have went, right? I think that they're- oh, no, I went to Disney World. Oh, you went to the Florida. Oh, okay. I just figured because you were in California, you would have went to Disneyland. But the- model of like these fast food restaurants is they take kids for their first time job and they, mm -hmm. their whole goal is to teach them basic job skills, how to run a time clock, how to stay on time, how to greet a customer, how to make a sandwich, very, how to run machinery, how, you know, like it's all very geared towards being super simple with very clear overarching messaging, which is it's all about the customer. It's all about repeating the same thing over and over again. Consistency is good. Professionalism is better. Consistent professionalism is best, right? So it's that, and that's what it sounds like what Walt Disney World is really good at as well. Just taking these fine things and going, you know what? It's all about the attitude at the end of the day. And if you can master the attitude, 
the world is open. Right. It really is, you know? And so that was a unique lesson for me. I enjoyed my time there. Looking back, I enjoy it even more, you know? And so that was, you know, part of that stepping process where, you know, I started to learn the skills. And it's interesting. I can look back in my life. So I'm a Christian. I, you know, I believe in God and I believe God kind of ordains our steps and orders our steps. And so it's interesting to be able to see how every aspect of my life, starting in high school and, you know, and then moving on to Disney World and just building, built skill sets that I would need in the future to be able to take those next steps. So you know, jumping back to high school, that really first building block, because I was kind of a shy backwards kid, right? And uh, I don't know, maybe I still am a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> but my dad, part of that, my dad said, look, you're either going to do it. My parents, I say, but you know, my dad was more vocal about it, but he said, you're either going to do speech and debate all four years, or you're going to do drama all four years. And at the time, drama didn't sound very fun to me. So I did speech and debate for four years and I learned how to collect my thoughts and communicate those thoughts. And so that was really that first step towards, you know, what I feel are grander things in my life. So I'm very appreciative of that. And then getting the customer service at Disney World just added on top of that. Why was your dad so focused on speech and debate or drama? What was the... I think it was the ability to communicate. It was the ability to, mm. you know, especially on the speech and debate side, think critically about you know, a topic or a subject, be able to organize your thoughts in a way that would be entertaining because I mean, it's competitive speech and debate, right? And so it doesn't just have to convey information. It also has to be entertaining. And so to, to some degree, depending on where you are. So being able to take those thoughts, distill them into their main ideas, their main points, pick a couple of them, expand on those and entertain somebody for five to seven minutes. I think that's where he was going with that. And Got it. You know, Dad's knowing what they know. He probably knew I wasn't going to pick drama. So you know, <laughs> if he would have said speech or debate or, you know, auto hobby or something, I would have probably picked auto hobby, but he said drama. So I was like, well, let's do speech and debate. You know, it's funny. I haven't really given it much thought. I'm an educator, but I work with adults, I'm an mm -hmm. adult educator, and I educate people on business. And, you know, so it's the opposite of grade school and high school, that kind of thing. It's my only point. But if I were, you know, just thinking about it as you're talking, if I were to go teach in high school or in grade school, man, would there be a better job than to be teaching debate? I think that'd be the best job ever. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think, I think nowadays a job that's, that more emphasis should be put on because it's a skill that we're losing as a society, you know, and I know people tend to rag on millennials. I'm a millennial, you know, but it just, it is, I mean, the, the technology that we have at our fingertips now has really shot us forward in some areas and maybe held us back in others. And so uh, putting that focus would be, would be phenomenal. So I'm yeah, a supporter. Yeah, that's really great. That's really great. Speech and debate. I can see it right now. Mr. Peterson's class, get in here. Let's talk about something. <laughs> I love it. So, no, it was good. I had a good. So that, okay. So you got speech and debate. So you're able to articulate some critical thought. Then you go into Disney and you're starting to get some customer experience and the idea of how important attitude is. You go back and you're still, did you finish up college? I didn't. So spoiler alert on that one. I, I've got one, almost two associate's degrees, but no bachelor's degree. And that kind of plays into the story. So when I get back from Disney World, while I was there, some friends that I had made uh, got me really interested in politics. And so mm -hmm. I came back 
course corrected, started going after a political science degree and became a field representative for a California state assemblyman, which again, so the customer service aspect, you know, I mentioned that each experience kind of built upon each other. Sure, sure. As a field representative where you're representing an elected official because he is unable to be there. You have to make sure that you're articulating his points, not your points, and that you're representing him well, because you're literally the face of somebody else. And so it's kind of an interesting spot to be. But so the speech and debate definitely helped. The customer service definitely helped. And what I really learned in that job was business correspondence. Right. So because I would respond to hundreds of emails a week, hundreds of letters a week, it just on these different topics. And so being able to write in a way that now articulated those thoughts versus just being able to speak in a way that articulated those thoughts. And then it gave me structure, right? Disney World, there was definitely structure. Blockbuster, there was definitely structure. But with this position, it would it, that looked completely different. It wasn't just a nine to five or a part time. You're here between these hours. You may work a full day and then go to an event in the evening, that kind of thing. So again, now that was kind of phase three that, uh, you know, taught me more. And so I did that for almost a year and a half. And in that time, I had become friends with the guy who tried to recruit me for the Air Guard. And so he and I went to the gym together. And after a few months of going to the gym together, he owned uh, two service master franchises. And wow, I'm like sitting here thinking, how do we get to cleaning? Yeah, <laughs> it's possible. We're almost and there, there. It is. Yeah, almost there, there it is. He owned two service master franchises. And so at 20 years old, he said, Hey, why don't you come over and do sales and marketing for me? He had a great operations team. He had great administrative team. But he was doing all the sales himself, right? And he'd grown fairly large, especially with the two franchises. So he said, come over and learn that. So now I had the opportunity to learn sales and marketing on top of the other stuff. So that was a very cool opportunity for me. When Uh, you say he owned two cleaning franchises, do you mean two different areas? Two territories, yes. Two territories. Because when you buy a cleaning franchise, you are geographically placed, right? So you can't sell outside of this geography. You have to buy another franchise. Right. there. I mean, as with everything, there's technicalities, but yes, Mm -hmm. if you want to actively sell in a new area, you have to buy that territory. Mm -hmm. And so he owned two territories and I did sales and marketing for him, which was neat. Probably one of my favorite ways to work, which is why I probably make a good business owner, but I was hundred percent commission, you know, to get everything rolling. He paid me a small salary, but I was commissioned off of everything I sold. And so that was a neat motivator for me to be able to go out and just see what I could do, right? Yeah, a million percent. And I think that too, kind of just, if you know, when we're able to, which is so great about this story and just having this kind of an interview process, is we're able to go back from the beginning and go, wait, and you can kind of map out how you become a successful business owner and all of these elements that are stacking up into your favor. And we cannot... We cannot gloss over how important it is to learn how to be an earner based on your ability. That commission-based pay. Oh, and especially when you take that to the next level of entrepreneurship, right? I exactly. Mean, you have to be comfortable with not knowing where your next paycheck is going to come from. You just know it's going to come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's really what sets entrepreneurs apart from everybody else. And there's nothing wrong with being the other way, right? Stability. I get it totally. Uh, A million percent. A million percent. I have to remind myself of that, that there's nothing wrong with the working that somebody, you know, I'm married to a school teacher. Mm -hmm. And by definition, that means she is the opposite of an entrepreneur. She's the opposite of a risk taker. She's the opposite of a business owner. She does not want to guess <laughs> where the next paycheck is coming in. You know, so if I think sometimes when, you know, when you're having a bad day, week, month, year, she's kind of like, you know, just don't want to say it out loud, but maybe getting a job is best, right? Like that's her MO, like that's her. And to somebody like you and me, the idea of going to work for somebody else I mean, is there something worse? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it's the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> has well, the opposite and, effect. And that's the thing. So, and my wife's, you know, very similar to your wife. And she does a really good job of grounding me. You know, not like punishment, but I just, you know. <laughs> You're grounded. I didn't even get that. That's funny. She probably wishes she could ground me. <laughs> no but, question. But, you know, she does a phenomenal job. And But we're different in that respect, right? I can sense that there are times in my harebrained schemes where she looks at it and goes, well, maybe we should do something a little different, you know, and I'm okay with just jumping in both feet and I'll get something right. You know, so we, you and I, we are very much alike. I am the same way. And you know what? I always forget. This is uh, the house. Here's podcast. This is Ralph and his relationship. No, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes one of the things I forget is my first sale is to my wife. I forget sometimes. I just kind of think she's going to go along with me, you know? And sometimes she's like, wait, what's your idea? <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this, this, this. She's like, no, 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 that's not going to work. I'm like, yeah, it is. And then we think it through and she's like, I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, well, that, I guess. <laughs> and that's the trick, right? But we have that's to be careful trick. with it because we don't ever want our wives to feel like we're actively selling them on something, right? We, mm -hmm. We've got to come alongside them and understand that, hey, their view of the forest is different than our view of the forest. And it, there's value in that. And so, no question. No uh, question. I'm, I'm sure my wife has talked me off of ledges a number of times. And, uh, you know, if I would have jumped, then I would not have been better for it. But so. Same here. Same here. I get ideas every day. And then it's five o'clock at night. And I'm like, where'd the day go? Yeah. <laughs> I've been down this rabbit hole of this great cleaning business idea. What? <laughs> right. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. Right there with you. So, so that's how you got into the franchise is that's uh, how by it, him. Sales it, and marketing. Love it. It is. It is. So a very blessed. So like I said, he had a phenomenal operation staff, great staff all around, but phenomenal operation staff. So I don't know if you've ever done any extensive selling for a service-based business, but when you're a salesperson, that has an operations staff that you know will back up everything that you say, you could just light the world on fire, right? And so- I had the opposite effect. Yeah. <laughs> I was selling for people who would, and that's kind of what led to me. I worked for this fantastic company selling mm -hmm. housekeeping, laundry services, and food services in nursing homes. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. But what kept happening was when you're selling, as you know, you have to set up the account, which means you're identifying how much staff you need, how much supplies are going to cost, when you're going to, you know, all of those budgetary line items, including how much profit you're going to make right. is 
what the salesperson puts together. And then they get the contract signed. And we were paid based on the percentage of profit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, there'd be like two different percentage profit lines. You know, at this line, you make this much. At that line, you make this much, right? So the more you can get profit out of, of course, the more money you would make. Right. And I would sell it at the high end. And then my first profit statement would come out to where I'm supposed to be getting paid on it. And mm-hmm. I was getting paid on the low end. I was like, wait, we're way more profitable than that. But the operators always wanted more staff. Mm-hmm. And they didn't get penalized if they used more staff because they weren't held to the profit I was selling. You know what I mean? Like it was this Mm -hmm. disconnect and it eventually led to me going on my own. And that's tough, right? There's always a delicate balance, especially as a business owner. But I mean, there's a delicate balance between sales and and operations. Operations, yeah. Uh, 100% of the time, you know. And so if you can kind of navigate that chasm and bring them both together, then... I mean, you've really got a formula for success because that's probably one of the biggest areas of contention in business over overall. So, so they were great, lit the world on fire. We actually had a period, it was about 16 or 17 weeks where I was able to bring in over 600,000 in annualized revenue because of just my confidence in his staff and the ability to go out and do what I needed to do. So much so that the owner came to me one day and said, hey, Ryan, I need you to stop selling. I'm 100% commission. Like, I don't think that's going to work. Did I just get fired? (laughs) And I think that, too, is the other part where you want your salesman to have blinders on. You Mm -hmm. don't want them to know whether you kind of want to keep it a secret from them, the operation side. Mm-hmm. Because if you see that the operations are not going well, you're going to slow down yourself. It's funny yeah. that they came to you and said, slow down. But if you would have found out, right, that it mm-hmm. wasn't going so well, you would have started slowing yourself down, which is no good for your own pocket. Well, to be honest, I was 20 years old. My attitude probably would have been, well, you need to get it together then. <laughs> you which know. is way easier said than done. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, hindsight being what it is, I've been mm-hmm. on that side of now. So I'm well-versed in how difficult that can be. But yeah, so because of that period, because of what I learned from him, I actually had the opportunity. And from what I understand, I was the youngest sole franchisee in Service Master history to that point. And maybe still, I may have ruined it for everybody else, but they sold me my first franchise at 21 years old. Wow. uh, Which was pretty cool. And that's and, amazing. And I thought so too. And I mean, I was so thankful for it. And, you know, and then in short order, I began to learn. I didn't know what I didn't know. And there was a <laughs> lot of, you know, and so but it was a great opportunity. It was a business that the existing owners were working in, but they were ready to give it up. So you were taking it over from somebody else. That's good. That's an easier. I, well, I, I did, but there was at the time there was only it was kind of interesting how it all played out, but they only had one client that they were cleaning on. And I think it was five nights a week that they were doing, but a small client. Like a class A building, like an office building or what was it? It was a, like a blood donation center or something. Sure. Okay. Okay. So Uh, a little bit of a healthcare clinic. A little bit. And what was ironic about it is when I bought the business, I actually had to buy clients from my former boss that I had sold for him because some they had locations in my new territory. So 
it was interesting how that all worked out, but we navigated through it. That's so, funny. That's funny. Got, you, you had to sell it twice. I had to sell it twice. So, or sell it and buy it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. You know, so, but we navigated that. And uh, what's neat by the time, you know, I mean, really fast forwarding, but after almost nine years of operation, we'd grown to right around 60 clients, uh, regular clients, and at the height, about 30 staff. Wow. Were you specializing in one particular cleaning avenue or were you cleaning anything? Construction, cleanup, medical buildings, whatever? We would do anything and everything. If it was mm -hmm. a commercial space and it needed cleaned inside of that commercial space. And I think to a certain extent that could have hurt me a little bit it, just because we were so spread out. Like, for example, we had a, a beautiful winery that we cleaned their administrative offices. We cleaned some production space. We cleaned wine bar and a restaurant. And one of the things that they had, they had an outdoor patio that I forget the frequency now, but they would strip all of the covers off of their patio furniture. We'd take it back to the office, clean it all for them, and then, you know, deliver it cleaned and, and fold it back to them. You know, and it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. But I wonder if taking that time maybe detracted from something else that I needed to do. So anyway, just a, an aside, we were doing anything people needed. I got to tell you, if there's something, if there's a common thread that I see, again, I'm a business strategist, right? In the cleaning business. But so speaking from that, with that small hat on, if there's a common thread, it's that it's everybody trying to be everything to everyone. Cause you're like, oh, the cleaning industry, I can clean anything. And the truth is you should probably pick one or two lanes mm -hmm. and then become really good at that. You know, you get up right. to five, six, seven different offerings. It's hard to even staff that. It it's is. hard to even staff it. It is. Well, I mean, especially as you're, as you're looking at today's climate, you know, with hiring, if you've got five, six different lanes that you're running in, you're going to have some crossover between, you know, employees to be able to do one or the other, but you just start, you add on more headaches than you really need. I'll share with you. So now affinity is we, I learned to specialize, right? So we specialize in carpet and hard floor cleaning for commercial space, and we'll do residential for realtors and property managers. Uh, but essentially, the unit has to be empty so we can go in, do a really good job, and we're done. But because I like of the, it. Very specialized. I like it. Good. Very specialized. Because of the relationships that I've built, there's a significant dollar amount that if I started a janitorial company tomorrow, I mean, we're talking a seven-figure dollar amount annually, that if I started a janitorial company tomorrow, I would be handed in work. But again, you know, right now I sleep too well at night. And so, and I'm not patting myself on the back, so I don't want to, but it's just it kind of the nature of things, right? When you do a good job in one area, people want you to do everything for them. And so, but I don't need the headache. So I stay specialized and I stay happy and I make less money and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think that, I think you're on the right track. I, first of all, happiness. Mm -hmm. I saw a video recently where... The guy started out, you know, like a room full of people. He was a motivational speaker. And so as motivational speakers do, they try to point out the obvious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just to let you know how clearly good you all have it, how clearly good we all have it. And his whole thing was, if you woke up this morning knowing I was going to give you a million dollars, what would have been your, you know, how would you have woken up? Very excited. 
What if you knew that you're going to get a million dollars, but you couldn't get out of bed for the rest of your life? And all of a sudden, nobody wants a million dollars, right? And everybody here get out of bed, right? So it's worth a million dollars, you know? Yeah. So, but the only reason why I even bring that up is because happiness can't be undersold, right? Like it is super, super important. What makes you happy? It's got to be part of your business. It's got to be part right. of your job. It does. And you have to be able to, and, and, you know, I struggled with that for a long time learning, okay, what's going to make me happy. And, you know, as a young guy with a business now and, you know, what I thought would make me happy then looks very different to what I know will make me happy now. But you're right. It's, you know, I look at everything through the lens of opportunity cost, right? So opportunity cost is the value of the choice taken versus the value of the choices not taken. I mean, going back to living in the Bay Area, right? People commuting for four to six hours a day. Yeah, you're making 20 grand more. But if you actually calculated out the opportunities you're missing with your family, with your friends, with just everything, is that 20 grand really worth it? What's it costing you? I spent a long time. I was in sales for a long time and I had a large area, multi-state. I spent every week in the car, every week in hotel room. I hated it. I, if I don't travel again, it's going to be fine with me. Yeah. No. And you get to that point, right? And, yeah. and so where's the balance of doing what you feel you're called to do versus also making sure that, you know, there's been a quote rattling around with me for a couple of weeks and I kind of modified it. The original quote was don't let what you do for God become more important than your relationship with God and which is applicable to me, but also don't let what you do for your family become more important than your relationship with your family, right? And I think especially, and I can't speak to how women are wired because I've never been wired that way, but I know for men, extremely easy for us to justify working those 12, 13, 14 hour days because we're doing it for our family, right? Like mm -hmm. that's important. That's what mm -hmm. we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But 18 years down the road, you don't have a relationship with your kids. And we all know that scenario suffers in the end. So, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, that's a really, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I think that when you're a business owner too, I work all the time. Mm -hmm. I work real early in the morning. I work all afternoon. I work late in the evening. I'll get back to work after dinner. I'll be checking stuff before I go to bed. I mean, I'm almost working or at least thinking about work, you know, 18 hours a day. <laughs> As a solopreneur, as somebody who is in, you know, in a, a business owner position, I have two things. One, I feel a deep sense, like you're saying, of responsibility. I do feel a deep sense. It is me. If I don't do it, I'm not going to get paid. I'm not. And the other part, and I'm going to admit this quietly, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love what I do. I love what I, who I work with. I, get, I love who I get to work with and who I get to meet and strategize and figure out. And I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. And, you know, I'm the same way. I absolutely love working, um, but I love my family too, right? So I want to make sure that I prioritize things in a way that shows them they are a priority in my life, yeah, that I'm smart. also working so that we can do these things together as well. So and, and not to take a deep... Uh, no, I like it. I think this type of conversation is definitely important. It's definitely needed. And it definitely defines and really shows how you got to where you are in the first place. So, yeah, it's, you know, I've had a very supportive wife, uh, kids too. They're all young. It's seven, four and two. Oh and my. 
Yeah, the seven-year-old is uh, it was dropped off for her third day of third grade a little bit ago. So that is so great. You guys are already back to school, huh? We are. Wow, we don't. I don't think our kids are in college okay. or grown, and they don't go back until next week to college. The move-in date is next week, but I don't think school started around here yet. For little kids, I don't think it started. It's, I think my wife, because my wife is a school teacher. I don't think she goes back till September one. Oh, that'll be nice. Yeah. So a couple of, she has two weeks, I guess, yeah. before she goes back. So you guys are back way early. Yeah, we start, you know, and, and well, I got to imagine you guys have snow days and things too. Back there, of course, you have snow in Nevada? What? It, I know, right? <laughs> well, most people don't realize. So it's funny, you know, I'll say I'm from Reno because we actually live in Sparks, which is right next door, but nobody knows where that is. So I call it Reno, right? Yeah. Um, and so, oh, you live in Reno. What's that, like 45 minutes away from Las Vegas? No, it's like it's four seven hours, hours, right? Seven hours, yeah. So it's far. It's far, yeah. 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 So it's a big state, you know. So, but yeah, so up in the, the northern section, we get some snow, mostly up in the Sierras, right? But we'll get a couple of days a year, we'll get some snow down on us, give or take a few days. So it's nice. It's enough snow to where if you really feel the urge to clean off the driveway, you can. But you don't really have to, right? If you don't want to, you wait a day and the sun will take care of it. Right, right. So at least where we are, you know, Reno is actually kind of a diverse, has diverse microclimates. So it's interesting. But yeah, so because of snow days and other things because of COVID, I think they're just trying to get everybody back as early as possible so that we can have a nice full school year. I like that. Speaking of COVID, how did you fare during COVID? Did you have to change any business practices? Did you lose any clients? What was the big struggle for you guys? So with Affinity, we being that we focus on you know commercial so much and our system Let is- me, Hold on just one second. Let me just clarify that. So you dropped the franchise and then you went out on your own as Affinity. Well, it, there's a gap. So operated the Service Master franchises. I got up to three franchises in the East and South Bay. And my wife and I just decided, we had our daughter at that point and decided, you know what, we don't want to raise our daughter in the Bay Area. The business climate in California and Bay Area specifically was pretty rough, you know. So at that time, to be able to compete with government assistance, you had to be paying somebody $22 an hour full time. And that was seven years ago you were competing? Yeah. Because that's our number one challenge now. Oh, yeah. Is we're competing with the government across the country. You were competing with them back seven years ago. Well, and that's so you got to remember, I was competing at that time. I was competing with state and local governments. Now, mm-hmm. you know, in the Bay Area, you're competing with state, local and federal government. The rest of the country, by and large, is just competing with the federal government. But so, yeah, it was extremely difficult in the housekeeping world. I mean, number one, especially in contract janitorial you're not going to be able to justify to your clients, hey, I got to pay my people at least $22 an hour. They'll say, great, I'm going to the next guy. You know, so you've got to figure out how to do that. So there were some challenges there, but we just, we were ready to, to be away from the Bay Area. So my wife has actually been, she was in the California Air National Guard at that time for about five or six years. And I had always wanted to join the military. It, going back to that, previous recruiter conversation, you know, I always thought I wanted to go active duty. So that's what I, you know, I, I wanted to go active duty, Air Force Academy, and let's go that route. Life changes. And so now, you know, we decided to do, we decided to get out of the Bay Area. So I did what any 
rational, normal male with a young family would do. And I joined the military and left for a year. Uh, <laughs> of course, you know, who doesn't? Uh, who doesn't do that? And, yeah. and again, talking about a supportive wife, I have to tell you this, and I was sharing this story the other day. I have sat in the car. So, you know, I would tell my wife, hey, let's go over and get dinner in such and such a town. I got to drop off some supplies to somebody and then we'll go grab dinner. Okay. And I can't tell you how many times my wife has sat out in the car by herself or with our young daughter for two, three hours at a time while I go in a building to just drop off supplies and stay and do something that needs to be taken care of. Right. You know, and so she's always been extremely supportive and I'm so thankful for her. I was blessed with a great fit for me. But uh, so again, supportive in the military, always wanted to do that. She was already in. So she kind of had an understanding. And so that's where I started to look around at different bases and the Nevada Air National Guard based in Reno. They had the job I wanted. There was only one job I wanted to do, which was aircraft loadmaster. And so I'm a loadmaster on C-130s, nice. uh, which has been a whole adventure in and of itself. We'd need another hour to, to flesh that <laughs> one. Well, you know, you've been there. Of course. Uh, well, I was, I've never been a loadmaster, but yeah, been in the military. Sure, sure. Yeah. And so, you know, so that's what brought us to Reno. And at that point, I decided, you know what, I'm not going to do the business thing anymore. I'm going to, because I'm a traditional, right? So with some exceptions, one week in a month, two weeks a year. And so I had to go get a, a real job also. And so I had the opportunity to do that. I worked for a great sporting goods company here in town, Shields All Sports. They actually have about 27 or 28 locations around the country now. Oh, but, nice. Uh, so gained a lot of experience there, did sales for them, did some marketing for them. And I got the itch again, right? And so I thought, you know what, why don't, my wife and I were talking and I said, you know what, why don't I just get a, a carpet machine? I can go out and clean carpets in the evenings, weekends, make some extra money for the family. And, you know, we can go to Disney World every other year or something like that. And so I'd been thinking about that a lot praying about it a lot. And at the end of 2018, I had the opportunity to deploy. And so I was gone for two months and we had a lot of time to sit around and just talk to people and get to know each other's stories and that kind of thing. And the common theme that really kept popping back up was, you know what, I'd love to own my own business, but I have no idea how. And so when you've got young families, you know, not everybody's like us, right? Like, so when you've got young families, the responsible thing is not to go into something you know nothing about you know, and see if you can give it a go. And so that kind of morphed and, and Affinity's got some really neat things on the horizon that, that I'm not going to share right now, but, you know, and so that's what got us to Nevada into Reno. And then after deployment, I came back, I had two weeks off and having time off doesn't bode well for me. So I started a company and, <laughs> and you know, and so give me so a little idle time. I will create a business. Yeah, let's do that. You know, so uh, 2019, January 2019, I started laying the groundwork. April 22nd, I started working full time in Affinity and building it. And, you know, that takes us all the way through to, to what I'm doing currently. Left the sporting goods company. Like I said, fantastic company. Didn't leave because of anything other than apparently I'm a serial entrepreneur. And <laughs> I don't want to else. somebody gave you two weeks off. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> so just to go back, how was 2020 for you guys? So 2020, like everybody, it was rough. So we 
the hotel and restaurant industry really love our system, right? We can give them their revenue back that traditionally they would lose when it comes to carpet cleaning. And so that being the case, who got hit hardest? Restaurants and hotels, right? right. I, I read a statistic a while back that when the dust settles, I think a thousand to 1200 hotels around the country will just close, you know? Yeah. And it's an even bigger number than that for cleaning companies. You know, a yeah. lot of cleaning companies were not able to survive during the pandemics because of so many clothes. I mean, offices, schools, businesses, you know, hotels, restaurants, everything closed. Right. So we, uh, business contracted for us and it never fully went away. And I in the beginning of the pandemic, probably about three weeks where, while we were all figuring out, okay, what is this thing? There was about three weeks where I worked on yard projects, but otherwise we were able to jump right back in and grow and, and we're extremely small. So it's myself and I have a technician and, you know, and we go take care of our clients, but, you know, so we took a hit, but we still grew last year over awesome. 2019, which wow. is awesome. Yeah, uh, that's great. And I'm really excited to say that by the end of this month, we should meet what we did last year. So with four months left of the year. So yeah. that's really great. And yeah, how, so, what is your, the rest of 2021 looking for you? I mean, you are going to continue to grow. You're going to add on another tech. Uh, continue to grow. Looking to add on a tech here soon, just to kind of help spread the workload. And I never want to get into a position where, you know, I'm taking, I take on so much work that now we just can't support it. Right. Cause nothing looks worse than saying, yes, I want the work and then you can't do it. And so, or, or it takes you four weeks to get to. And yeah. so, uh, you know, building a little bandwidth there and continue to grow. And I imagine with the clients that you're after, you can put them on some type of an annual program, whether it's quarterly, monthly, semi-annually, right? There's some longevity that you can have, even though you're focusing on a very small aspect of the cleaning industry. And there is, there is, you know, we have clients that go, you know, once a year, all the way up to once a month, just depending on who the client is. So yeah, what yeah. their needs are, mm -hmm. what their flooring is made out of. Exactly. Yeah. And what level of traffic they're experiencing. So I got to tell you that a lot of people don't know this, but there really is a lot of opportunity for floor care specialists in healthcare mm -hmm. because most healthcare facilities, I'm talking like nursing homes, senior care facilities, hospitals. Most of them do it themselves. They have their own cleaning company, you know, right. or not cleaning company, but cleaning staff yeah. employees. And they just are not equipped and they don't have the experience and the expertise in proper floor care. Mm -hmm. And so there is a lot of opportunity there for somebody to specialize in just that one thing. There's a lot of, lot of healthcare facilities out there that may be interested. Yeah, no, and that's, you know, and that's certainly you know, one of those things that we would love to look into, but I mean, so that's where, you know, kind of tying Mojave into this whole thing too. Like the greatest thing about the cleaning industry is that it's extremely low barriers to entry, right? So you go out and get a vacuum cleaner and a mop bucket and, and you can start, right? And I commend those people who do that because it's a great way to start, but very quickly you start to learn. And I didn't know this before I was, you know, knee deep in it you start to learn that there's so much more than just going and getting a couple of pieces of equipment and cleaning something, you know? And so, um, and so with that one, of the, I would imagine having never been in the healthcare industry, but in that way, but 
there's so much training that goes along that those centers are not necessarily equipped to be able to provide because nobody on the healthcare side necessarily knows how to strip a floor properly or, sure. or yeah. Yeah. what finish to use or what systems to, you know, and so with Mojave, that's what I want to do is I want to take these great companies or, you know, help healthcare, whatever the case may be, but take these great companies that were started by ambitious people who bought a vacuum and show them, okay, great. You've got a great foundation. Here's the things that you need to know. And that's what you're doing too, right? You know, it's just providing information, hoping that people are finding it useful and knowing to a certain extent they are. But okay, how do we get you to the next level? Because I want you to be at the next level. Million percent, million percent. And I don't, you know, it's funny, you know, to go back to the sales end of it, you know, as you know, because you've had the experience, if you don't know how to run it, you're not gonna be able to know how to sell it. Right. So one of the big, one of the biggest, I'm trying to figure out if it's one of the biggest or if they're all very big, you know, one of the barriers to entry into healthcare is understanding how to operate in, how do you operate a cleaning business inside of a nursing home or a hospital or a senior care facility? It's a lot different than you would. It's a lot different on every level from bidding to cost accounting, to staffing, to managing, to clean. It's so different. It's so different. Right. Because I mean, a normal cleaning, a normal contract janitorial, people go home at five or six or whatever. You have have the building to yourself. You know, never so, have the building to yourself in healthcare. Yeah, ever, ever. You're always sharing space. Mm-hmm. And you're normally sharing space with people who need to be tended after. So. Right. Well, and who, I mean, just, you know, stuff as simple as spray buffing, right? To keep the, you know, how that affects the indoor air quality now and how that's going to affect the people in there for care and the staff that's caring for them. And now you add COVID on top of that and particulate and, we go on and on, right? A million percent. I have, you know, one quick story. We'll get out of here. But one, we're always, buffing is, you know, it's the thing that I concentrate on the most. Floor care is everything to me. Everything is floor care. Floors, I always say there's three most important areas of any facility to be cleaned. And that is floors, floors, and floors. Those are the three areas (laughs) that are the most important. And I remember this one time that, well, I had a floor tech who was buffing a hallway and I was just there inspecting. So I'm just walking down the hallway and I see that he's having a little bit of a problem managing his cord, right? So mm-hmm. cord management, when you're buffing from a, you know, a stick buffer, the cord management could be a thing, you know, we wet floor signs tying to the cord, to the railing. So it doesn't, you know, wreck the rectifier when it pulls out of the wall, all this stuff. Right. And there is a young lady who is helping an elderly gentleman down the hallway. And I see the, you know, I'm going to have to help them with the cord and make sure everything I'm focused on the cord. That's all I'm focused on making sure they get by the cord. Okay. They get to the resident's room, this young lady. And by young, I mean, if she was 20, I'd be surprised. She had to be at least over 18, but younger than 20. So somewhere in that line, very young lady. As soon as she goes into the resident's room with this elderly gentleman, his call light goes on. Before you know it, people are running to the room. The ambulance are called. Alarms are going off. I'm like, what the heck happened? Something must have terribly have happened. And it turns out that the dust from the buffer was causing a breathing issue. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is why it's so important to you know dust mop before we buff and make sure you're buffing a clean floor and this whole thing. And then the ambulance comes out with the bed and on the bed is the young lady. 
the whole time I thought we affected the breathing of the 80 year old. Right. No, it was the 18 year old who apparently. <laughs> bro, oh, boy. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. No, it's. I don't even know what to say about that. I just, it just reminded me of it, you know, the particulate and in the spray buffing and the mechanical exhausts and, you know, uh, on and on and on. Well, that's, I, you know, early on in my career, propane buffers, and I know how, I know, you know, how dangerous those can be. Um, Absolutely. We used to light wax on fire, right? You light wax on fire and put it on the floor and that's how you smoothed it out. I mean, that was. Yeah. And I mean, so the story that I know is one of our competitors he didn't realize he was buffing a big space. And so obviously in there for a very long time, didn't realize the door had shut behind him and his ventilation. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the CO2. Builds and right up. That was a very tragic story. Sounds tragic. That sounds terrible. Yeah. Housekeepers podcast. We're going to rest, leave it on a terrible. <laughs> Still in business after all these years. <laughs> Need a positive <laughs> note. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. I should have been looking at the time better. No, uh, no, that's that kind of thing happens. You know, tragedy happens in the cleaning business, whether it's from a propane tank, you know, in a closed space or the most common accidents that happen as a result of cleaning is tripping, mm-hmm. tripping, falling, slipping on a wet floor, slipping on a newly waxed floors, you know, tripping over a cord, vacuum cord stretched out across the lobby and somebody having something in their hands. That happened to me. I had, I was vacuuming a space and I had a nurse's aide walking into a facility. She had a box of, I don't know, bagels or cupcakes in her hand. She did not see in front of her that I had raised a cord and she fell and broke a kneecap. And I mean, it was not, it was the opposite of a good experience and it was all my fault. I, uh, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. That was still challenging, but She wasn't there when I started vacuuming. I turned my back. I just want to get to the edge, to the corner, you know, so I don't, you know, it's it's unfortunate. That's the way you learn stupid lessons, but that's tripping, falling. Well, hopefully, I guess, you know, as we wrap it up, our PSA can be learn from the dumb things we've done. That's right. That's right. Those, I often wonder and this is maybe going to sound silly because there are so many things you can just pay attention better, you know, but wouldn't it be great if, do you know what a Carolina jig is in fishing? A Carolina jig is just a way of putting the sinker. Imagine putting the, if you have a line that you're going to throw on the cast and you have a bobber, Mm -hmm. but you put the bobber next to the hook or like six inches above the hook. And then you put the sinker on after the bobber. And Mm -hmm. so what that does is, when you cast a line, the stinker goes to the bottom and the bobber goes up and then mm-hmm. the, the worm goes above the bobber. It's like that. It's really great, especially for like stream fishing and, you know, a little bit lake fishing, but lakes where you can hit the bottom, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Anyway, I always think of that. Like, I think it's called a Carolina jig. I kind of think of that. Wouldn't it be great if there was like a little alarm you can have on a cord so that when it's plugged into the wall, the alarm sits on the floor and if you pick the alarm up, it goes off. And yeah. so that's how you know that you've gone too far with your cord. Like, eh, eh, right? Yeah. No, that was busy to invent that. I came up with it. Give me credit. Patent <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that's, you know what, I, as I'm getting into Mojave and I'm just looking at all the equipment out there that I didn't know exist. I mean, as battery technology gets better and battery equipment gets more prevalent, 
what a tremendous opportunity for that. So, right from a safety aspect, from a sheer productivity aspect, you know, so those are exciting. exciting yeah, there's a lot of battery operated machines out there. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of battery operated stick buffers. Right. There's, yeah. so I found that we actually carry it in our line, but uh, there's a 15 inch, no, it's a 17 inch, 1500 RPM battery buffer that will run for two hours. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. And so, so, you know, learning more about that, that's, uh, it's neat to see because I think, I think as that technology, especially in the healthcare environment, again, becomes more prevalent. I mean, talk about a game changer. There's no cords to trip on. There's no broken kneecaps. There's, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's being able to complete your job as you need to do it and get in there with being minimally invasive. I'm curious as to how much that thing weighs. And the battery's got to be on the housing unit itself. It can't be on the stick. No, it's on the housing itself. And it looks a little bit different than, than a, a traditional buffer. It's more robust for Do sure. You have them? You have them? Uh, they're in our line, yes. Will you do me a favor? Can you send, at the end of this video, obviously this video will be live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube. Will you right. attach a link to that so I can see it? Sure. Just put it uh, in the I, comment section of this video when, you're, it's when a we're new done. For us, but I'll make, so I'm not sure if it's up on the site yet. I've okay. got a, a, a fantastic. Well, you get it on the site. I want to see it. I know. We'll get it there. Well, Well, when you do, make sure you put it in the comments so I can see it. Because I'd be, I'm really interested. I think that that is technology that I would love to take a look at because I agree. Cord management's a bear. Yeah. I've got a a church client that's going to be, that's uh, buying one of those for a new facility that they're building. It's actually my home church, but uh, same thing, Uh, getting rid of the cords because cord management is, it's the number one source of fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the number one, you know, it helps contribute to the number one cause of accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's just, it's the number one maintenance cost of any piece of equipment that you have. So if you can eliminate those three issues, you're miles ahead. So yeah, I'll get it over to you. Yeah. A million percent. And not only the tripping and all that, but also rectify. I'm, I can't tell you how many cords, you know, I do classes on cord fixing all the time, how to, how to fix your own end how to replace a rectifier because I can't tell you how many thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that I have spent because my manager didn't know how to fix a cord. And so they sent it out yeah. and every time you send it out and they just got to put on a $3 end cause you ripped it out of the wall. Yeah. Cost me a hundred bucks, 125 bucks, two yeah. weeks without having to buffer. The cords are my nemesis at this point yeah. as well. So I know from I have I had 30 janitors and I didn't have enough money to have them fixed. So I had to learn how to do it. And it's extremely simple. It's extremely extreme. simple. Even changing a rectifier is yeah. extremely simple. You just have to be taught to do it, but it's one screw, four little plugs. Yeah. And yeah, that's it. How's his podcast? We're going to get into a maintenance. It's going to be the maintenance podcast in a second. If you let us run down this rabbit hole. <laughs> Hour two. Yes. Hour two. How do people get a hold of you, Ryan? How do people find you? How do people hire you? Is there a website? There is. So for Affinity, it's uh, www.affinityccs.com. That's Affinity Commercial Cleaning Service.com. And for Mojave, it's mojavesupply.com. So we're on social media. Reno, Nevada, or just outside of Reno, Nevada? We are. uh, Sparks, Nevada, which is a neighbor. Sparks, Nevada, and not to be ironic, but it's smoky there. 
I don't know why this sparks Nevada. It's smoky, but that's not funny. All right, whatever. Yeah, they don't all work. But <laughs> they don't all work. Thank you so much. And again, the, all of the your links to your website and everything will be in the show notes as well. We'll also put them on the end of this video. So please make sure if you enjoyed today's show that you like and subscribe and maybe perhaps even think about writing a review. By the way, somebody just reached out to me. They're like, what should I say about the review? I said, well, do you like the show? Yeah, I think the show's great. Say that. That's enough. This show is great. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a paragraph, some soliloquy. You don't have to write some awesome speech. It'd be great if you could. If you if, could write. <laughs> if you're capable, please If do. you're capable. But if, listen, if, hey, I just enjoy this show or this show is really impactful or, you know, I learn a lot from the show. That's really plenty. Just a couple of word sentence to say how much you enjoy the show is enough to get our ranking up when all it's doing is making sure most more people are seeing and hearing and learning more about the Housekeepers podcast. Again, the seventh largest industry in the world. There cannot be enough housekeeping and cleaning related podcasts and shows out there. So any love you give us, I guarantee we'll come back to you tenfold. Not for me specifically. I don't have that type of ability to love everybody, but I want to. You know what I'm saying? Housekeepers podcast. Ryan Renard, Ralph Peterson, Cleanest Hour in Podcasting. We will see you guys later. That's it. The Housekeepers Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. Keep in mind, the best way to ensure that you never miss an episode of the Housekeepers Podcast is by subscribing to the show and following us on social media. For those of you who are more visually stimulated, you can always watch us record the show live each week on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. In fact, we post all of our videos on YouTube, so make sure you are subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you love the show and you want to help us out, please consider writing a review and sharing the show with all your friends and families and colleagues. And if you are looking for more information about today's guest, all of their contact information and the links to their websites are in the show's notes. That's it. Until next time, this has been the cleanest hour in podcasting. I am Ralph Peterson, and I'll see you later. <laughs>